Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a good Monday morning, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. And we ask that you please subscribe to the program. Flip the notification switch on. If you prefer to join us in podcast form, by all means, please do just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. We'll get to the Bengals in a second. But the biggest story in this town, I guess you could argue that. But you knew that this was going to happen for a second straight year. A big-time program coming after UC head football coach Luke Fickle. This time, it was Wisconsin. And this time, he simply could not say no. The Badgers give Fickle everything he could want in his entire career that's not Ohio State. Big Ten, big facilities, coast-to-coast alumni, big alumni money. It's the Midwest. There's no way he could turn it down. Fickle leaves as UC's all-time winningest coach. He rescued this program from the abyss it was Tommy Tuberville and turned it into a legitimate national football power. One, of course, at last year broke into the college football playoff as a non-Power 5 conference team. If you're a UC fan, don't be angry. You can be upset, but don't be angry. This is the right move for a man who's been all about making the right moves. Celebrate the six years you had him. And for the record, the guy I try to hire is Deion Sanders. All right, now the Bengals. What an overall incredibly impressive performance it was yesterday in Tennessee against a good Titans team. The Bengals were more physical, and they made all the plays on both sides of the ball when they needed to make them in the 20 to 16 win. Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. Is there any doubt? Was there ever any doubt? 270 yards, T Higgins, seven catches, 114 yards, and then the defense just smothered Derrick Henry. His second lowest rushing game this season, 38 rushing yards for Derrick Henry. Cincinnati has won seven of nine since losing the first two games of the season and is now tied atop the AFC North with Baltimore because maybe in the shocker of all shockers, fellas, Casey McAllister, Paul Fritzner. Good morning. Before we get to the Ravens, very exciting yesterday. It was very, very exciting. Great, great win. Uh, Ryan Tannehill did okay, but I will say that majority of his 290-something yards came off of one or two big plays, yep. um, one of them being the Derrick Henry screen, which, eh, and the deep ball um, that Cam Taylor Britt just, he's got to do a better job at contesting that. But anyways, great win for Cincinnati. And these games that we're about to talk about, even better. And, Paul, how was your journey out to Portland with the Xavier Musketeers? It was good. It was a great weekend. A lot of really high-level college basketball. I was there for not just the Xavier games. I saw a bunch of the – I saw Duke play their games. I saw 
uh, Purdue, Gonzaga, all those teams. It was a high-level event. It was a great event. Uh, Phil Knight was the, it was his 85th birthday party, as they wow. would say. That was uh, so PK85. They did it five years ago for his 80th, and then this year for his 85th. So it was all the Nike schools that were there. Kentucky didn't go, but were you just reporting there, or were you doing some of the same stuff that you were doing for the Xavier games, like? No, no, yeah, I was I was just reporting um, for the Big East team. So I didn't – our flight last night, I didn't get to go to the Connecticut game. They ended up winning the tournament last night. They looked great. They might have been – them and Purdue, I would have loved to have seen them play as like a bracketed championship uh, contender team. But I think everybody here wants to talk football, Tom. But All right, we, but we, we're going to get to basketball. We can get, we can get to basketball too, later. Because it was a big uh, uh, weekend for both Xavier and UC. Yep. But we're starting to talk about the shocker of all shockers. Went down in Jacksonville. The Jaguars knock off Baltimore 28-27. Trevor Lawrence throws for 321 yards, three touchdowns. It was an 18-point fourth quarter rally for the Jags. Now, if you didn't see it, Jacksonville got the ball down seven with two minutes to go. They drive 75 yards, score a touchdown. They decide to go for two, and they get it. But just when you thought the Ravens were dead, bang, 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 Justin Tucker lines up for a 66-yard field goal attempt. It was just short, and that was that. In Cleveland, the Buccaneers, I'm not going to say a stunner, maybe a surprise, beating Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Bucks just aren't very good. Nick Chubb runs for a three-yard score with 19 seconds left in overtime to seal the win. Other games of note, how about Mike White? Remember him? <laughs> Lit up the Bengals last year, that same guy. First start. Well, he made the start for the Jets yesterday against Chicago after Zach Wilson was benched. He throws for 315 yards and three touchdowns in a 31-10 route of the Bears. A wild one in Philadelphia last night. As the Eagles hold off Green Bay 40-33, to Philadelphia rushes for 363 yards, including a franchise record by a quarterback for the Eagles, 157 from Jalen Hurts. Aaron Rodgers left the game with a rib injury after throwing two touchdowns and two picks. Jordan Love came on, threw a touchdown, but not enough. The Eagles are a league best 10-1 and one on the year. All right, college football. So this past weekend turns out to be Luke Fickle's last at UC. He had to start Evan Prater at quarterback for the first time after Ben Bryant was injured the week before. And while Prater had his moments, uh, he looked like a first-time starter in a 27-24 loss to Tulane. That was on Friday. The loss was the first for UC at Nippert Stadium in their last 33 games. It also means no trip to the American Conference Championship game next week. But a tip of the cap goes out to Bryant. He's not going to play in the bowl game. He's out for the year. This kid had a good year. He had a really good year. And we wish him well, whatever is next. The big game turned out to be a one-sided big game for the maize and blue of Michigan. They hammer Ohio State 45-23, winning in Columbus for the first time since the 2000 season. You realize Tom Brady had not yet made his NFL debut the last time Michigan won 
in Columbus. J.J. McCarthy certainly wasn't the most decorated quarterback coming into this matchup, but he left as the best player on the field. Throwing three long touchdown passes, he ran for another score. The Wolverines beat their rivals for a second straight year. Michigan will certainly move at least to number two. Who knows? Maybe they go to number one. In the new college football rankings this week, that'll be released tomorrow night. Michigan will play Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game Saturday night in Indianapolis. How about TCU? They will certainly go to number three as the Horned Frogs cap off an undefeated season for the first time since Andy Dalton was their quarterback back in 2014. TCU wallops Iowa State 62-14. The Horned Frogs will play surging Kansas State Saturday in the Big 12 championship game. And unlike 2014, when they went undefeated and got leapfrogged by Ohio State, if they win, they are guaranteed a spot in that college football playoff. So what about number five, LSU? Well, the Tigers are done, all but eliminated. After being shocked at Texas A&M 38-23, the Tigers will still play for the SEC championship on Saturday against Georgia, but with three losses, they're done. USC will certainly leapfrog LSU. Will they pass Ohio State? You would think so tomorrow night. The Trojans beat Notre Dame 38-27. If you didn't watch it, it was one of the most amazing individual performances that I have ever seen by a quarterback by Caleb Williams. He's going to win the Heisman. Mark it down. It's not going to be Hooker. It's not going to be Stroud. It's going to be Caleb Williams. And he's earned it. Logic would say that if SC wins a Pac-12 title game, that's Friday night in Vegas against the only team they lost to this year, Utah. So they would avenge their only loss. They would be in the Final Four. Then you've got Ohio State and don't count out Alabama. The Tide destroyed rival Auburn and is lurking as a two-loss team. College basketball, after losing to Arizona and Ohio State, UC salvages a win in Maui by beating Louisville 81-62. Bearcats 4-3 on the year. Same record for the Xavier Musketeers. They went toe-to-toe with some big-time teams now. Gonzaga and Duke, Paul, you were there. Yeah. I mean, they went toe-to-toe with these guys. And look, even though they only got one win out there, I would make the argument they are going to be all the better for it in the long haul under Sean Miller. Yeah, I tweeted that last night, and I, I caught some flack for that by saying that it seems to me that Xavier's going to be an NCAA tournament team this year. And I understand that they haven't done themselves any favors by not actually closing these close games out against a team like Duke or Gonzaga or Indiana, right? You play number six, eight, and 11. You have them right down to the wire with a chance to win all three of them, and you don't win any of them. So now you play West Virginia this weekend. Bob Huggins is coming to town. You play Cincinnati in two weeks in the shootout. Both of those games become a whole lot more important for Xavier in the non-conference resume because of those are your last two big games to win um, outside of the Big East schedule. And the Big East isn't all that great this year. But still, the performances that Xavier's put up against those top-tier teams has been pretty encouraging. So as long as those are steps in the right direction, they can correct some of those defensive issues, I think they'll be good. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think that they're they're taking a step there. And then for UC, too, I think it 
the shoot the shootout now all of a sudden I don't want to say is any more important than it already was but for both teams it's becoming a game that that you look at your non-conference schedule and especially for UC is their only a real power conference objective left on their schedule and then for Xavier they have West Virginia too but um, in the non-conference at least so yeah but Good I, for them. how here, here's my question back to you when you see that Xavier's put up those performances over the last couple of weeks and then you know you see with last week in Maui and everything like that now fickle with the coaching change how how much is the shootout going to get swept under the rug this year oh I don't think it's swept under the rug at all I don't think it's so. a big deal in this town. I mean, it's one night a year, and, and it's a huge deal, always has been in this town. I don't like the fact that now, for the last number of years, that ESPN does that game because I don't think that they present it the way that I know we used to at Channel 19 when we did that game yeah. every year. You know, you, you had a whole hour-long pregame show and, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, hey, money's money. And uh, I think it's still a huge deal. I'm with you. I'm, I'm just to be clear. I'm fully with you. I just I had some people asking me last night about it, and I go, I it's, it's the classic. You know, has the has the shootout? You know, has it lost some of its uh, shine? I, I obviously not. No, I, no, not it at has all. not lost its shine. And by the way, I never want to forget, and I'm not going to do it moving forward. We've talked about this already. After Coach Horn came on the program, he was unbelievable. NKU beat Tennessee Tech last night. 85-77. Yeah, and Marquez Work scored 45 yes. points, set a program record. And I think I heard the coach in a, on the radio say that he played point guard virtually the entire game and had one turnover, yeah. along with the 45 points. We're going to talk about the World Cup, briefly albeit, but after a shocking draw with England, it comes down to one game for the United States men's team. It will play Iran tomorrow. And the winner will advance to the next round. This is a huge game for the U.S. men's and men's soccer. All right, gentlemen, uh, coming up on the program today for everybody, we have Zim Houday. What would it be without Zim Houday? I mean, that guy was dancing in the streets probably most of last night through the streets of Washington, D.C., or out in the woods outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, we have Brian Billick coming up. He will be joining us a little after 11. And we're going to talk with him a lot about the Bengals. Normally, we try and talk about some other things going on around the league. But all of a sudden, you know, I noticed uh, Skip Bayless this morning, among others. Here come the Bengals. Because now we mentioned they've won seven of nine. Uh, they're looking better and better every week. One thing I failed to mention, you know, you go back to that playoff game. They've won three in a row over Tennessee, by the way, now. But in that playoff game last year, when the Bengals were the four seed and Tennessee was a one seed, the Bengals, of course, win the game. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times in that game. He was sacked once yesterday. And I give it up to Collins, man. I mean, that dude, he, he's playing hurt. I give it up to the whole group. Um, as the season has gone on, they have gotten better and better and better and better, and they are peaking at the right time. Uh, they've got, they've got a tough road to hoe. There's no doubt about that, but now you're starting to look at, at, at how they stack up against the elite of the elite. And I don't know about you, but after watching Buffalo on Thanksgiving day, that's a beatable team. And the way the Bengals are playing right now, Zim Hude said it four weeks ago, who wants to play the Cincinnati Bengals?
And then coming up at 11.35, we had Dan Hort. And uh, I'm really looking forward to visiting with Dan because of the Luke Fickle situation uh, and the names that will come up for that job. I said a little while ago, uh, and I know there are a lot of guys who are going to want this job. Tom Herman has expressed interest in getting back into coaching. Former offensive coordinator uh, under Urban Meyer, left to become the head football coach at Texas. Uh, he had some good years there. Uh, you know, not good enough for that alumni, but uh, he had some decent years there. And he's a good football coach. But I still maintain the guy that I would give serious consideration to is Deion Sanders. What this guy has done at Jackson State, they're undefeated this year, first time in program history. He signed the number one high school recruit in the country. Number one. Number one. He signed him to come to Jackson State. Imagine what he could do here. And, of course, not roots, but, but he has said many, many times in his short stint with the Cincinnati Reds as a baseball player, Dion very much enjoyed the city of Cincinnati and the people in Cincinnati. Guys, I mean, look, Brandon Seho is here today. You're a UC guy. Um, and I know you can jump up and go over the microphone here, but I, I, I'm interested. When I brought up that name uh, before we went on the air today about Deion Sanders, you know, you, you weren't all that fired up about it. I would be fired up for Deion Sanders. He's done, obviously, an incredible job down there at Jackson State. I just, I'm a Deion fan, always have been. I, I don't know if that's the right fit for UC, but I'm open to it. I mean, I think you said he recruited the number one player in the country. He obviously changed the program at Jackson State. That's on that level of football. I'm interested to see what his coaching staff would look like. But, I mean, shoot, can you imagine the rush of, of PR, recruiting, if you get a guy like Dion in there? I mean, I like Dion. I like Tom Herman. I like uh, Minner's son, defense coordinator at, at Michigan. Those are kind of my names. Throw Urban Meyer in there. Who? Urban Meyer. That'd be cool, right? You have to at least <laughs> make Urban – you have to at least let Urban say no, right? Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you have to at least make him say no. Yeah, the, the, the only two, well, three. The only three sales pitches you could hand to Urban. Number one, he's an alum. Yeah. UC grad. Played, you know, played football there. Um, he has family, immediate family. Both of his sisters live here in Cincinnati. And number three, they're going to the Big 12. Because if you would have any hope, and I would say there's no chance, but I'm not Urban Meyer. Um, the only chance you have a guy of uh, a chance of landing a guy like him is the knowledge that he would have a chance to get to the college football playoff. And in the Big 12, you have that chance. And with 12 teams now. Well, well, well you're going to that years. in two years from now. But right. I'm just saying, even with the talent he's going to have coming back, uh, if he were to shock us all and think about taking it, moving into the Big 12 and look no further than TCU, you can go to the college football playoff if TCU uh, wins over Kansas State this weekend.
Just to be clear, I am 1,000% in support of Deion Sanders becoming the next UC head coach. Okay. You, you sold me under when we, when we came over You know, here. one guy I don't want to dismiss outright is Kerry Combs. Yeah, no, I think Kerry's going to get an interview. John Cunningham said yesterday he's going to listen, and Kerry has a long history in Cincinnati, obviously coached at Ohio State, was with the Titans, and has been back at UC this last year or so. I think he's going to get a fair interview. And he is the interim head coach, and we'll coach them in, uh, you know, they'll find out what bowl game they're in. All of that final, uh, the, fi the, the final college football playoff rankings come out Sunday after all the championship games are played, conference championship games. Uh, so you announce who the final four, and then, you know, all the bowl games are announced, and you see clearly. Uh, with only three losses on the year. is going to play in a pretty big bowl game. It's not going to be a New Year's Six bowl game like it's been the last couple of years, but it's going to be a, uh, a big-time bowl game. All right. Uh, we got about 15 minutes before uh, we get to Zim Hudek. So let's start, fellas, with the Bengals. I know you gave us a broad stroke, Casey McCall. First of all, before we go any further, everybody's Thanksgiving good, uh, Paul, even though you were out in Oregon. Let me start with you, Paul. What did sure. you do for to, to celebrate? Did you see the picture I tweeted? Besides say a prayer. <laughs> did you see the picture that I tweeted of my Thanksgiving meal? Yes. Oh, how sad was that? Well, it is what it is. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, you're a big-time operator. You're out there with the Big East and the whole nine yards. Yeah. I mean, you know... I mean, they, they, it was it, they, they tried. It was a good... Uh, the media meal was... It was turkey, cornbread stuffing, and some green beans, and I kind of got the last of everything, and it was a tough scene. I'll be honest. It was a tough scene, but uh, it was fine. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly glad that I got anything because um, just the way that the schedules were lining up, it was kind of tough to get anything going, running back and forth between the arenas through the week. But uh, no, Thanksgiving was great. Thanksgiving was really good. I got, I got to watch basketball all day, so it was great. It's not a bad day. Not Case? a bad day. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a good time. Um, spent time with my family first. That was the first Thanksgiving. Then in-laws over at their house and then this last sunday we had uh the last thanksgiving dinner with her grandparents and uh watched the Bengals game and that was a, a joy of course very thankful absolutely there you go casey so much to be thankful for there's no doubt about it uh we have a slew of people that are on here today i mean some of the usual suspects and some that i haven't uh seen necessarily before maybe you guys have um Anonymous says, Dion should stay where he is, and I hope he can possibly win a national title with Jackson State. Uh, Garrett Riley, interesting, Alex, you would say Garrett Riley. He came to mind for me as well. Uh, Garrett Riley, for those of you that don't know, is the brother of Lincoln Riley, the head coach at USC. Garrett Riley is the defensive coordinator at TCU. That's an interesting name. How how much value are we putting in the UC job compared to other vacancies? I think if they weren't going into the Big 12, I think that's a legitimate question. I do. But you think because the Big 12 jumped, that, yeah. that's enough to... No doubt. No doubt uh, your recruiting base expands. You're going into Texas. You're going into Oklahoma. You're going into all these places. Um, I can't imagine what it's going to do for TCU's recruiting this year and, and having the kind of year they're, they're having, whether or not they win the, the, the conference championship game on Saturday night or not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the facilities have clearly been upgraded. They continue to be upgraded. 
They know you're going to have to spend more money if you want to recruit with the big boys now in the Big 12. Um, one name that, that, that I think you have to give serious consideration, and I'm not so sure at the end of the day of all the guys out there that I would not bring in first would be Brian Hartline at Ohio State. Former great receiver at Ohio State, outstanding pro receiver for many years. He has been the wide receivers coach under Ryan Day for the last three years. And I think universally, he is considered to be the best position coach recruiter in the country of any school. And look no further than all the wide receivers they had there at Ohio State. And then he coaches them up. You got to think about Brian Hartline. Born and raised Ohio guy. Got to think about Hartline. I like that. I like that move. I also like the Deion Sanders thing. Um, and then the, the Riley. Uh, Riley's brother. Um, Lincoln Riley's brother. De uh, what was it? You don't like Urban, leader of men? <laughs> Urban. <laughs> Urban needs sure. to go back to Ohio State. That's yeah. where Urban needs to go back. Well, look, give, give, us, give us some thoughts on Ohio State, Tom. Well, you know, look, I love Ryan Day, and, and, and I think he – I mean, look, I mean, in what, three years, four years as head coach, he's lost four games or something. I mean, come on, right? But it's Ohio State. I was up there at the game on Saturday with my kids, and, and um, you know, they jump out. They score the touchdown right down the field. They get a field goal on their second try. Then all of a sudden, Michigan, you know, hits a big play. They're blitzing all the time, blah, blah, blah. But if there's one play in that game that epitomizes the difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, it was when Ohio State was down by four in the third quarter. They've got the ball at the Michigan 45, fairly past midfield. It's fourth down and four. And Ryan Day decides to punt. If you watch it on television, C.J. Stroud is pleading his case. We got to go. The entire offense pleading its case. We got to go. They send the punt unit onto the field when you have, in theory, if not the best, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in college football. Number one pick, first round pick in the upcoming draft. You have wide receivers, the best wide receiver in the country in Marvin Harris Jr. And, and you got weapons everywhere. And on fourth and four, down four at home to Michigan, you're punting. Cannot happen. And if Urban was there, would never have happened. He is going for the gusto. And just sitting in the, in the stands, 107,000, it, it, it was a state of shock when they sent the punt team out on that because the very soon as they punted it, Michigan goes 80 yards, and that's on the defense. That's not on Ryan Day. But they go 80 yards, score a touchdown. They go up 11, and in essence, for all intents and purposes, game over. So you, you're a firm believer that it wasn't the Joes that were the issue. It was the, the, the coaching that lost – Ohio State the game. Well, I, look, I'm not saying that, that the coaches – look, the players have to play. You know, the players have to play. And, you know, Jim Knowles, their defensive coordinator, has done a phenomenal job this year, first year, but they brought him in to stop Michigan's run game. They stopped the run game. But it just goes to show you, 
Um, you know, all the experts say, so-called experts, me, one of them included, you stop the run game, you win the game. J.J. McCarthy, if you don't know his story, Chicago kid, he only his entire life only wanted to go to Ohio State. And when it came down to recruiting of McCarthy and C.J. Stroud's backup this year, Kyle McCord, Ohio State offered McCord the scholarship and not McCarthy. He then went on as a high school senior, a social media rampage, killing Ohio State and saying he was going to go to Michigan and he was going to beat Ohio State. Well, lo and behold, mm. look what happened. How about that story? I didn't know that story. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that either. It's all the kid wanted to do. It's where I spent Thanksgiving. Family that I was with up there, they live right down the street from J.J. McCarthy's parents. Is he a true freshman or is he a redshirt? No, he's a sophomore. Sophomore, okay. Yeah. So okay. he played a little bit last year, was not the starter, went in, split in time at the beginning of this year. And look, at the end of the day, you know, he basically complete. you know, guys were wide open because Ohio State's selling out on the blitz uh, to try and hit him. And he got rid of the ball, give him all the credit in the world. And I think they had four plays in that games of 60 or more yards. And I mean, guys wide open. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like McCarthy just was tearing them up. He just, they were they had wide open guys. I mean, he was like 50% completion percentage, but yep. he had like almost 300 yards. I mean, it's just an insane day for Michigan. I thought it was more of a, a coach's thing too, honestly. I thought the, the scheme did not do them any favors. I mean, they sold out to stop the run, and the safeties were not disciplined enough. Um, they just let things get past them way too many times. And it, you think <clears throat> going into halftime that that would be coached up, but it happened almost immediately at the beginning of halftime. Yep. I'm like, this game's over. They're going to start playing back. They're going to play too deep safety, and then they're going to start running the ball a little bit more effectively, and that's what happened. It, Michigan started running the ball more effectively as soon as they switched it up. And that was that. That's all she wrote. Um, I, I want to get into, before Zim Hude comes on, I want to get into uh, with you guys your thoughts of where we are now with this college football playoff. Because the top three are, are no-brainers, okay? And, and let's just assume Georgia beats LSU. Uh, and that, that's not a layup, uh, but you would think they're going to win. Michigan is playing Purdue in the Big Ten Championship game. Again, you just never know. I mean, you know, Michigan almost lost a week ago to Illinois at home. Uh, anything can happen. And, 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 of, and of the opponents there, Kansas State, of those three championship games, Kansas State, TCU's opponent, is playing the best of any of those teams of the group of Purdue, um, Kansas State, and LSU. But if all three of those teams win – Lead pipe sitch. They're in. Do you guys believe that if SC wins against Utah, they're in? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think this is a pretty cut and dry. This is like what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, right, where we have all these debates, we go back and forth about it for a while, but then in the end it really just plays itself out and you get a pretty clear answer of it. I think we have a pretty clear answer of what it's going to be right now if all four teams win. I think the only question, and we talked about this before we went on the air, I think the only thing that's going to be worth looking at tomorrow night in the playoff rankings is whether Alabama or Ohio State 
is higher at five and six yep. because whichever one of those two teams is behind the other, their season is done because neither one of them can help each other or, or, or help themselves. So whichever one of those two teams is ranked lower, their season's over. Unless something crazy was to happen, like all four teams lost and, you know, like it was just total chaos. Right. But but effectively, if, if Alabama is at five and Ohio State is at six and SC was to lose, does Alabama get in at that's, two losses over a one-loss Ohio State team? That's a million-dollar that, question. That's what, that's what the – committee would set it up as now if ohio state is at five and alabama is at six then ohio state's back in at four yeah. we're doing this whole song and dance over again yeah you're not going to get a leapfrog from six to four if there's an opening no you're yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. make a yeah, leapfrog no, 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 six no, to four no. it's not going to happen uh because neither alabama nor ohio state is playing in its conference championship game their seasons are over um so you know then you get into all the chaos if um, – I think if Michigan or Georgia were to lose, I think both of them are in. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The way Michigan looked against Ohio State, they beat Penn State. I think Michigan with one loss, it's not going to happen. But if it did happen, they would still get in and Georgia would certainly still get in. If TCU loses, well – does TCU get in ahead of Ohio State? I would make the argument, even as an Ohio State fan, I would make the argument if you had a one-loss Ohio State team against a one-loss TCU team, the TCU deserves to get in. They have a lot of yeah. top 25 wins. They got a whole – I think they have more than any team in the country. They do. I they have, they a have great, five or six top 25 wins. They have a great resume. I don't know how you could keep them out at one loss if you're just putting the two resumes back against each other. Agreed. I would probably put TCU in. But do you think that would happen? I don't know. That's the thing. I mean, do the you thing, think yeah. that would happen? Yeah, probably. I mean, not. I'd like to think TCU would still get in, but man, um, you know, I, I, I've never sat in any of those committee, committee uh, meeting rooms. Um, I'm sure the, the conversations are just extraordinary to just sit back, not even to record them, but just to sit back and listen to them. That, that if you got into a scenario where, you know, what if, what if both USC and TCU got beaten? I know we're doing a lot of what ifs here, but look, these are the kinds of things that the committee is thinking about already. You can take it to the bank. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to come out with their top four tomorrow night, but the top four tomorrow night is a no-brainer. I mean, there's not any discussion. The only discussion is going to be Ohio State, Alabama 5-6. That's yeah. it. The rest of it, irrelevant. But the top four are set, but you can book it, that they will be sitting around talking today, tomorrow about, okay, now let's play the scenario game of what if, if you're taking it as a given, the Georgia and Michigan, should they get upset in their conference championship game, are still going in and both should still go in. But if TCU, if USC were to lose, who is in? I mean, I, I'm just, just going off of the interview we had with Urban the other day. He made the claim that Michigan and Ohio State deserved to be at two and three. Yep. Th those were actually top four teams. If you look at the tape, you know they they 
stand out above the rest. I would have to say that OSU gets in at four if TCU and USC loses. I don't know which one. I don't know if Alabama gets in then or, or how that would play out. I would love for TCU to stay, even if they lose in their conference championship, but I just don't see it. USC losing to Utah again depends on how they lose. If they lose again on like the two-point conversion, then... Oh, USC's done if they lose. They're you, done. You think so? Two losses, they're done. Yeah, yeah, they're they'll done. be done. They're done. Because they'll put a one-loss TCU, one-loss Ohio State. Yep. You know, maybe two loss loss Alabama. Alabama. Although, you know, we were talking off the air a little bit here about the whole Alabama thing. You know, we're talking about TCU and all the wins against top 25 teams. You know, when you when you go back and I went back last night and looking at Alabama's season. Now, the argument could certainly be made that you take maybe four or five plays of the whole year and Alabama's undefeated right now. Okay, but they're not. But when you look at who they have beaten this year, okay, they beat Texas when they knocked Quinn Ewers out of the game, second game of the year, uh, they barely beat them. Texas lost four games this year. They have ranked wins against Mississippi and Mississippi State. Both four-loss teams. Yeah. And Ole Miss completely disintegrated down the stretch. They had one loss two weeks ago. Yeah. Whatever it was, right? Yeah. So, all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there going, huh. Would Alabama, could you, excuse me, make the argument that they should leapfrog Ohio State or TCU or, I mean, you know, take an SC out of the mix because if they win, they're in. Um, all right, is him with us yet or no? No. All right, yet. I'll shoot him a text real quick. We'll take a timeout, and we're back with Off the Bench right after this. That was so great having Dusty Baker on a couple of weeks ago. We had Urban Meyer last week. Um and working on Bob Huggins this week. They play this coming week, right, against West Virginia Friday Saturday, night. Saturday night. Saturday night, forgive me, yeah. at uh, the Centos Center. All right. The man, the myth, the legend. He was a guy who said about three weeks ago, I mean, go ahead and stick your chest out, Zim. Zim Hude joins us. I mean, right there, savage mode. You were the guy that said it. We run the clip all the time. Even when, when I'm not going to say darkest hour, because it certainly wasn't the darkest hour. Um, but you were the guy that said, look, Tom, nobody wants to face the Bengals. Did you see Zach Taylor's speech yesterday? I did. He might be watching your show because he Is said that's exactly highly unlikely. the same words. The highly, no, I think man. he might be watching Cincinnati. He might be watching Cincinnati. Um, hey, I, real quick, before we get into I want to say something about what I think Brandon Seho is doing with the mental health show. Yeah. That I just saw the commercial. Amazing. That is something that has to be talked about, and I'm so glad he's doing that. I, too, struggled with depression earlier in my life. I got older. I learned a lot of different things. I woke up some days, um, and then I said, you know what? You know, like, live today like it's your last. That's why I, like, it's hard for, you know, it's hard for me to sit stagnant in like a negative spot because I've gone through a lot. And I think a lot of people got to have those conversations. And I think as men, you know, in any color, you know, they tell us don't cry or they tell, they tell you what to do. But they, what they don't do is tell you to have somebody directly there that loves you and that wants to hear what you got to say 
or, or about any of your problems. I call my friends and I give them wellness checks all the time. And I don't call and just say, hey, bro, you all right? Like, I actually say, let's go meet up. Let me look, let me talk to you directly in the space. And I think shows like that have to be done because they teach us not to express our, ourselves. It, it, and it translates to sports, too. You know, like, they don't like me saying all this positive stuff about the Bengals for some odd reason, but I just keep on going. Um, but I, I just wanted to commend them for that show. I just, I, we need more of that. And I, well, I, just, I, I think Brandon, oh, well, that's very kind of you to point out. And Brandon's in here right now, and uh, and I'm sure he appreciates. It. I think he he ought to have you on the show. Let's do it. He he knows my number. Hit me up. We could talk. You know, I've always had confidence, but I had some times where you know I didn't know. Maybe my son helped me out with that. My wife helped, but I lean on people around. I lean I lean on Tom. You know, like you I don't get, lean you know, on like, me, brother. You'd be barking up the I wrong do. tree. Brandon, you want to jump no, in there? Know, I won't, I won't be able to know, hear what man. Zim saying because I don't have a headset on, but I was listening on YouTube. Thank you, Zim. That means a lot. And uh, I do have your number. It's just a matter if you reply or not. <laughs> hit me up, bro. I got you. <laughs> I can't hear what he said back. He said, hit him up. He <laughs> says, you know I, better than that. I know. I know. I love you, Zim. All right, Zim. All right. Uh, let's you, get man. to it. Um, your back, overall back impressions of the Cincinnati Bengals <sighs> and the victory yesterday over the Tennessee Titans. Business as usual. Um, I like to post a lot of receipts beforehand. For whatever reason, there were a lot of people that just didn't think that we would win the football game, and I didn't understand it. Maybe because I'm a homer. Maybe I'm just a Bengals fan. I just didn't get it, um, even without Jamar Chase. I just I just didn't get it, and I still don't. You know, I, I look at different things in that, in that game, in the Steelers game, and I think that some of the early calls made the score even better than what it probably could have been. But it is what it is. It's football. Tennessee plays a, a, a tough brand of football, highly respected. No joke. They're going to give a lot of teams some problems, and we might see them again. But it, it's business as usual. Like, we are who we say we are. And I, I keep on asking people, I don't know why anybody would doubt a team with a top 10 defense coming into the game. Now it's probably top eight after the game, right? Yep. Top 10 defense, top five quarterback. Top three wide receiving core, great kicker. Look at these teams that they're crowning around us. Have you seen the month of Josh Allen? Have you seen the month of, you know, like some of these other guys that they're saying, like the Chiefs, yeah, they got some stuff. Like I like them, but you think they're explosive as the Bengals with Jamar Chase? They're not. They're a good team. They got a great coach, and I respect them. But people got to understand we're the defending conference champions for a reason. It's not by luck, it's not by chance. It's a well assembled team. It's always any given Sunday. But the teams that everybody's saying that we got to uh, play or whatever, they're looking at us. Go read their stuff on Twitter. Go talk. Go look. Like, I'm in Twitter spaces. I go and sit in their spaces sometimes and listen to them talk. They don't want to play the Bengals. I don't know why Bengals fans are acting like, oh, man, we got a tough luck. They're thinking the same thing about you. Maybe they aren't telling you directly, but I promise you, the Bengals are still the most dangerous team in the National Football League. Joe Burrow just did that, 280 yards with no Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. Who's doing that? Nobody. Nobody's well, doing this. And every single week, we keep on showing you. But for whatever reason, maybe it's a good thing that we're underdogs. And maybe it's a good thing that we're back against the wall. But at some point, the narrative is going to leave. And I'm going to just be sitting here with my chest poked out again. Say, hey, Tom, look at me. Look at this big old chest. I haven't been going to the gym. But you know what I've been doing? I've been telling all these 
people online that were the real deal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know it's, what it's you're saying. Happen, I baby. mean, you, you have been the guy all along that has said it. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing, Jim, the, 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 you know, the thing that surprised me, okay, and I'm, I'm going to be honest about it because I wondered, I wondered if the Bengals could be a smash-you-in-the-mouth physical football team. Oftentimes, when you've got guys like Burrow, I mean, you, you, of course you want Joe Burrow throwing the ball and the receivers they have, even minus Chase. He's still got really good players, and they had some guys step up, which we'll get to in a minute. But, you know, Tennessee, I think, is sort of the, the, the standard, if you will, in the NFL for playing physical smash-mouth football. That's who they are. They don't pretend to be anything else. And yet the Bengals... I thought were more physical yesterday. Now, be honest. Did that surprise you a little bit, Zim? Come on now. Tom, we went we went there last year with guys off the street like Zach Kerr that people have never even heard of and Clay Johnston's of the world and stopped them boys on two-point conversions and fourth downs and ones. We got the heart of a champion in us. You know, we haven't done what we, we set out to do, you know, as far as like our goals on world championships. But put this into perspective. You're a little bit older than me, just a little bit. The Colts are the only team that has won a championship out of that division. Probably the weakest division in football. Yep. It's yep. a reason why the Ravens, that's the only one. You could go back to what the AFL East or something like that and grab another championship. But as long as the current conference, the way that the, the, the vision, the way it's set up, is the Peyton Manning uh, Colts. But yep. yet you got these guys, or at least they're telling me online, the Bengals are poverty or whatever. Bro, we have to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns every year who house the most championships, like, in all the, in all the professional sports. Anybody calling the Bengals finesse or, like, something that they're not because they like Joe Burrow looking cool with some cool hair and Jamar Chase posing for GQ are sadly mistaken. Because the DJ readers of the world are the guys that are unheralded, the guys that they don't talk about, but they are a force. And it's been like this. It's been like this. When it was the, it, whether it was Geno Atkins or, or Pecco or uh, 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 Coy Bacon or, or all these guys, you had to be tough or you couldn't be in the North. In the last 10 years, the Bengals had three division championships and the Ravens have three and the Steelers have four. The Bengals have always been smash mouth up front. 2005 houses one of the best offensive lines smash mouth up front. Maybe in, in, in you know, like in, in my recent memory, you know, I'm not as, I'm not an older guy, but like anybody telling you that the Titans are so smash mouth, look who they're smashing the mouths of. <laughs> Hello? I'm <laughs> like you. you wouldn't do that in the AFC North. Come on, bro. No, in fact, they, uh, Charles Davis, who was a color commentator on the game yesterday, shared a conversation he had in getting ready for the game with Brian Callahan, the Bengals' uh, offensive coordinator, who said uh, that Tennessee, uh, in, in a complimentary way, he said this, that Tennessee, in his opinion, was an AFC North kind of team. And, and that's who Bingo. they are. But you're right, as far as who you got to play every year. And look, you know, uh, uh, Cleveland has certainly had the Bengals number the last couple of years, whether that happens a second time. We're a couple of weeks off from that game. But um, the, the other area I want to ask you about, and I don't know if it's fair 
Because, look, there's some people that really like Tannehill. There's some people that think Tannehill's just okay and he's a game manager and all those kinds of things. Um, the secondaries play yesterday. We know they shut down uh, Henry in the run game. What were your impressions as they're, they're starting to piece together the personnel and who's going to play, who's not going to play in that secondary? Because, look, we know who they're playing this coming week, Right. The Chiefs know they have to face Burrow, but the Bengals know they have to face Mahomes. I like the secondary, bro. I thought Eli Apple made play after play yesterday. I think there was the outright the out route with the tight end that I know he got turned around on. His football, um, the Cam Taylor Britt plays two weeks in a row. Uh, I'm sorry, this is he didn't happen to him last week, but the week prior to that, remember he goes for the jump ball. He's there with the guy like in his first action. I'm going to tell you one thing about Cam Taylor Britt and Eli Apple, too. When you're watching the games and when you're there at the games, because I was there for one of those games, I don't know if there's a corner hitting like him. When he was drafted, I was told he was the most physical cornerback, you know, coming out of the draft. And I'm not a big college football guy, but he put the wood on Derrick Henry yesterday and he hit. Coverage standpoint, yes. I don't believe that the Bengals are elite coverage, right? But take away the 60, 70-yard screen. Tannehill uh, throws for, what, like 220 or something like that? Yeah, I thought he played a pretty good game. Quick trigger. Tannehill's not a bum. You know what I'm saying? But take that same Titans team uh, just two weeks ago. Had they had Tannehill in that game, they probably would have dropped the Chiefs off by like 7, 10 points. Malik Willis plays and only throws, what, 5, 10 times or something like that? That's right. And and they end up losing the game or whatever. But Tannehill – is only be- let me tell you what happens when the Bengals play somebody. Whenever anybody plays the Bengals after the game, they say, "Oh, well, this team wasn't really whatever." By DVOA standpoint, the Titans were like a top three team, like scoring, uh, scoring points per, uh, red zone efficiency, yep, uh, run defense, all these different things. After we beat them, oh, I mean, it's just the Titans. They're gonna do that until the Bengals win a championship, and then when they get a championship, they're gonna say, "Oh, well, you only got one." You see what I'm saying? It's a never lasting. Thing. But as far as the cornerback play goes, it's not elite. It is one of the weaknesses of the team. And I think a bigger weakness is the lack of pass rush. And I think the pass rush will aid those guys in coverage. I do think that the the secondary, though, however, are really good tacklers. And I, and I really like the way that they play mistake-free football. And, you know, you saw it happen to the kid for the Titans on Christian Fulton and McCready. There's going to be some jump balls. Uh, Traylon Burks is a big guy. He's going to get some of those. Um, it happens. It's a 50, I, I like to think that sooner or later we're going to get a couple of those. But, it, it, you know, we're not getting beat, like getting past baits, stuff like that. Those are the things I'm really looking for. If you win winning 50-50 balls, it, it is what it is to me. And I, I didn't think that the, the, the Titans played the game that they wanted to play. And as a defensive coordinator, that's what you want to do. Get them out of what they want to do. Well, I'm not going to call you, Zim, the lone voice in the wilderness, but you are a woodsy sort of man, as we've talked about many, many times before. And um, if you weren't the only one out there, you were one of very few who said all along, just keep your eye has, on the Bengalis. Man, I'm telling you, look, if it, it, one thing you're going to find about me is, if just like I came on the show and told you about Jonah Williams, you know, I, I'm going to tell you if somebody isn't playing well, when I tell you that this team is the most dangerous team in football, that's from a lover of football. Can they be beat? Hell yeah, they could get beat. 
The referees could beat us. They, they almost beat, the referees almost. <laughs> you took always us complain hand. about the officials, Jim. Good <laughs> lord, you gotta let that stuff go. I, 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 I'll be for real. I'll be for real. We could be beat, but I'm telling you right now, as far as like the eye test without Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, you put up you you, you don't forget the field goal at the end negated the field goal. You know, right there. Had you needed a touchdown, you probably could have got it. You put up damn near thirty points on the Titans. That's right. It, 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 you know. Yep. And that's one of the better defense. That's a top three defense to me, and that's what I do know. And I and I don't think the Bengals struggled at any point in that game moving the football. The two drives, like the one got negated with the Chris Evans um, offensive pass interference one, then the other call too. They never had a, a chance driving. And then when they did have the punt, Drew Christman came through. Yeah, he did. Christmas he, he had Maybe a really it's good game. Christmas. Yep. Great yeah, game. He had a really good he game. He was booming. There's no doubt. He was There's eight no yards doubt. deep in our end zone and sent it to their 40. Like, that is crazy field, crazy field switch. They had three, they had four red zone trips, three field goals, and one missed field goal. That's a, that's championship football. Yes, right it there. is. I There's can't no lie doubt. To you. And that has been the one constant through this whole thing outside of the one game against Cleveland. The one constant for this team, where there's been some ebbs and flows offensively, although trending in the right direction, the defense has been fantastic. There's no doubt about it. All right, Zim, we're going to let you go. We're going to have you back at the end of the week, if you're able, to really get into previewing the Bengals v. Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead on Sunday. I would love to talk about that game. It's a big game, Tom. Big game. It's a big game. Um. I'm going to tell you, though, I expect to win. I expect to win. All right. Zim, you're the man. I just want to make sure that game, yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's here on Sunday. Forgive me. I don't know what yeah. the heck I'm thinking about. It's here. We're, yeah. It's Why, are jungle, you coming baby. back to no, that game, by the way, before we let you go? Tom, have I, you know I'll come back. I ever told you the time I was – I'm going to tell you something. If you're struggling with any Bengals, I was down 21-3 at Arrowhead. 21-3. Nothing but red around me. I look around, the guy's like, oh, like everybody's laughing. They were <laughs> dancing in my face. I was down 21-3. I look, I'm going to tell everybody, look, I look right ahead of me. One row ahead of me. You know who was there? Who? Coach Burrow. He looked at me. I gave him this wink. And it was go time from there. And I ain't looked back since. I was down 21-3 at Arrowhead. Coach Burrow did that for me. And after that, we had drinks, we celebrated, and we said, hey, tell them people, don't ever doubt the Bengals or never estimate the heart of a champion. Don't you ever do it. You're the man, Zim. We love you, buddy. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll catch up at the end of the week. Peace out. Amen. That's the man right there. I mean, fellas, that's the man. He is the man. He is the man, as they like to say. He's your man? man. And why would that be? Because he's always, always Mr. Optimism on the Bengals? Absolutely. I mean, like, when I need need a pick-me-up, he always knows exactly what to say. Whether that's on Twitter or his show or whatever. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Wincinnati Podcast. Because the guy just, he will make your day. There's no doubt. I mean, I have to admit, he he really does make your day. He he brings so much to this program. I'm so grateful that you guys were able to track him down uh, and that uh, he has been a willing participant to come on a couple of times a week. We got to get his buddy Ace Boogie back. Yeah. 
I think next time we we can't, maybe at the end of the week, uh, they are the co-host, if you don't know, of the podcast, Cincinnati. Um, I think we got to get them on at the same time. Yeah, we can do that. Are we able to do that? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Paul, what are your thoughts of that? Well, like both of them at the same time, you just like Zim as a standalone guy. I think doing it once or twice and getting them both in the same room together in, in this environment and putting us all just stirring the pot together, I think that'd be fun. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Um, coming up here in a few minutes, we have uh, Brian Billick. We're going to talk more about the Bengals. Uh, is the national perception now starting to swing um, in the Bengals' favor? Also going to talk about Baltimore. Uh, th- th- this is the second or third week in a row where the Ravens really don't look very good on offense. Nope. Um, and remember, early in the year, um, you know, the Ravens had a couple of meltdowns there in the fourth quarter late in games where they blew games. Uh, they did score, I think it was 13 in the fourth quarter, but they gave up 18 in the fourth quarter to a Jacksonville team that through the first three quarters had managed a total of 10 points in the game. So, you know, he's really dialed in uh, and tuned in to what the Ravens have going on and where they are through all this kind of thing. Um, and we'll talk to him a little bit about the, about the Bengals. Um, that and more. If there's something that you would like me to ask him about, please chime in on the uh, chat. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll get to some of your comments after this timeout. United Dairy Farmers. He's kind enough to uh, give us his time. Once a week on the program, former NFL Super Bowl winning head coach with the Baltimore Ravens, Brian Billick. And yet here he is today, uh, the front runner that he is, the 49ers pitch a shutout, even though you did spend time with the 49ers as a player, I might add, um, in all fairness, that um, you're sporting the Niners shirt today. Yeah, if, if only for the fact that uh, if it's free, it's me. This is part of the swag we get when we used to do games. I got a Cincinnati uh, shirt. I should have worn the Cincinnati shirt, so I'll do that next time. Well, both those teams are coming off uh, very impressive wins. Um, you know, the, the, the Niners pitch a shutout. Uh, the Bengals, um, you know, just reading some of the stuff uh, nationally, Brian, it, it seems like a lot of people – you know, you start the season 0-2, you're going to get a lot of this. And you were you know, talking about all this and their struggles, all the sacks, 13 of them the first couple of games. But it seems like there are people all of a sudden that are basically saying, watch out, here come the Bengals. Are they starting to look like that kind of team to you? Yeah, this, this, I was in, in Nashville uh, over the holiday. And this was a huge win for Cincinnati. Because once on the road, we always talk about and the value I put on the ability to win on the road against a good team. Um, without Joe Mixon, without Chase, and to go on the road, limit Derrick Henry and, and that offense to, uh, to under 75 yards rushing, and J- Joe Burrow have the efficient game that they did, stayed with the run. This was this was a substantial win. This is one that you put a mark on late in the season that says, okay, we'll, we'll see how things you know parlay out. We can make we could have the same conversation about every team in the NFL right now. I can give you two or three reasons on on a handful of teams why they're going to go to the Super Bowl 
and why they're not going to go to the Super Bowl. So yeah, you you know, there's always you can poke holes in in over you know when you've you've had eight, ten, twelve games. But in in Tennessee, a team that was playing very very well, shorthanded to win the way they did, this was a substantial win for the for the Bengals. You know, Brian, the, the, the Bengals, I think, went through the first seven games of the year, and we talked about it at the time, their defense. Uh, everybody wants to talk about their offense, and rightfully so when you get all the pieces back and that kind of thing. But, you know, their defense, they lost the, the guy, at least according to Pro Football Focus, that through the first 10 weeks of a season was the highest-rated cover corner in the league in a Wouzier. Uh, he goes down with a season-ending knee injury, uh, but they went the first seven games of the year, didn't allow a second-half touchdown. Um and then you look what they did yesterday. Um, I'm not going to ask you. Statistically, you can say, yeah, they're top eight, they're top ten. But when you watch them play, is there anything for you that really stands out about their defense above the, maybe some other areas of the defense? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's solid. And that's, that, that sounds like that, that's kind of a, a menial comment. But they're a good, solid defense. Um, they, they don't put themselves at risk. You know, we've talked about our toxic differential way back when, uh, how important it is to generate big plays, not give up big plays, uh, get turnovers and not turn the ball over. Uh, and, and from that standpoint, I think, you know, it's a good mix with what they're doing offensively. Now, we're going to find out real quick that next week against the Chiefs as to really are they, are, they, are, are indeed the Bengals still at that Super Bowl champion level because uh, obviously the Chiefs are, are playing as well as anybody uh, but have shown some vulnerabilities as well uh, and defensively have you know the Bengals can you know don't turn it into a track meet just don't give up the big plays and can Cincinnati play that game with the Chiefs I think they can so you know they they uh, we're going to find out real quick uh, whether they're there and doesn't mean they can't continue to improve as well but whether they're there right now with the Chiefs and the fact that they're at home, uh, the Chiefs coming in, this is a good this is a good litmus test going into the playoffs. Yeah, Cincinnati beat them twice last year, uh, and both times coming from behind, including the AFC Championship game on the road uh, in Kansas City last January. Uh, shifting gears to the Ravens, uh, look, you know they found a way to win so you give them all the credit in the world but but here recently after it looked like they were starting to do one of these offensively now they they, they look like they're kind of starting to do one of these they did get 27 yesterday so i mean there's nothing wrong with 27 you would think most times especially against jacksonville the 27 points is going to be enough to win the game but when you watch them play where do you think they are right now? I mean, they're, they're tied record-wise with the Bengals. They hold the tie break with the win over Cincinnati earlier this year. Uh, Baltimore still has to come to Cincinnati for the final game of the season. What's going on in Baltimore? Well, they're like everybody in the, in the league right now. They're, they're among that handful of three, four, five teams in the AFC that you can make a case for making a run through the playoffs. The most telling thing from the game yesterday was the fact that they were two of five in the red zone. That that uh, that when you get down there, because they did move the ball up and down the field pretty good. Uh, their defense is okay. It's not the dominant group that we're used to. That's a pretty high bar to compare to. They don't have the dominant pass rusher, uh, but they're a good solid defense. They still have to manufacture their pressures. Offensively, again, so unique with Lamar Jackson. 
But the fact that down in the red zone with a Lamar Jackson, because that typically has been, you know, their, their, their formula, obviously they get down the red zone, they can run the ball. Lamar can do something special uh, and they're guaranteed points, obviously um, with, with Tucker, uh, but to be three or two of five in the red zone, that, that, that's probably the thing that's preoccupying their mind right now. Um, and how telling is it is that you, you leave them, which I thought was a mistake to squib kick it the way they did, to leave them one play, to leave Justin Tucker a 67-year-old, 67-year-old. Mm-hmm. How, how telling is it the regard you have for Justin Tucker where collectively you're going, oh, my God, he can make yeah. this. Well, you know, that's how good this guy is. So, uh, yeah, they're still they still have all the elements, but that that lack of ability to punch it in from the red zone right now has to be the number one thing that they're most concerned with. Um, when when uh, the game last night uh, was very exciting, it had, it had a lot of action. It was uh, you know you you look at the whole this Philadelphia team, and I know they barely got by a week ago against uh, Indianapolis. They won late by one point. Uh, on the road, but like you said earlier, went on the roads, went on the road. And Indy's no pushover. They'll play tonight against the Steelers. But um, but to be 10-1, and one, and it seems like they're the kind of team, Brian, and I, I don't know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if there's another team from an offensive standpoint that has shown the ability this year where one week they can throw it for 330, and then last night they run it for over 350. 50. Now, I know you're not going to run for 350. You're not going to run for 250 most games. I mean, hell, a lot of teams are lucky to get to 150. But, but, but they, they, I think they're a really good team. A 10 and 1's 10 and 1, duh. But, but, but they just look like a really, really good football team. And, and Jalen Hurst is showing that he can do either one of those things. You know, we've always made that comparison to how is that to Lamar Jackson? And way back when, I think, remember we talked about. I had very respectable scout tell me that Lamar Jackson's a tailback playing quarterback. Jalen Hurst is a fullback playing quarterback. So he's not quite as explosive as Lamar Jackson. But, I mean, man, for 150 yards, when you have your quarterback doing that, the difference is that Jalen Hurst, like you said, can maybe go out. I don't know that I'd want to do it every every Sunday with Jalen Hurst. But he can go out and throw for 350 yards. I don't know how many times Lamar Jackson, if you just say, okay, we're not going to let you run the ball. We're going to keep you in the pocket and now throw the ball. I think Jalen Hurst is better better out of the pocket than Lamar Jackson is. Um, he's not quite the explosive runner, but can still hurt you with the running game. So he's got both elements of it, and uh, they've wrapped the right people around him, playing good, solid defense. The NFC, you know, we can talk about three, four, five teams in the AFC that are, are viable. Okay, who's going to be in that championship game? In the NFC, we're down to like two or three, aren't we? So that that alone says they're in a they're you know they're they're in a good spot right now, and they're clearly that top dog. Last guy I want to ask you about um, is Deshaun Watson. He uh, gets a green light um, to uh, he's active, will be active. The Browns have already announced he's going to be the starter this coming Sunday against his old team, the Houston Texans. Two part question. I'll ask the first part now. What's going to be his biggest challenge after basically not playing over two full seasons or, or certainly the better part of a year and a half? 
Yeah, you, you, you've got to, you've got to get into a playing rhythm, and you can only do that in a game. I don't care what you did in the offseason, how much you sat in the meetings, how hard you worked out. Obviously, at particularly this late part of the season, he feels really good. He's going to be fresh. So that's kind of dangerous, too. I have a huge, like all the issues aside and whatever I'm talking, just as a football player, I have a huge admiration for Deshaun Watson. I think he's a special player. That guy that certainly can beat you outside the pocket, but he could be, if again, we talk about that silly concept of, okay, if the league passes a rule that says you can't leave the pocket, he could beat you from the pocket in, in a, in a uh, Patrick Mahomes kind of way. I just have that kind of admiration for him on the field. But he's, you, know, you, you only can only get into that rhythm. Let's go back to all the conversations we had about to start the season for any of these offenses and the quarterbacks. And, oh, they had limited reps. And, okay, it takes a while. And there's going to be some mistakes that made because you just you got to get used to the speed of the game that can only be done on game day. So that doesn't mean he can't come out and, and light it up the first game. But it does take a little bit of while, so I think the expectations need to be tempered a little bit. The good thing he's playing on a Cleveland team that's kind of out of it. I don't want to say they're out of, out of it. Right, they're, right. They're not. You know, they still have a chance to kind of claw their way through it. But he can kind of play on house money too, and and kind of just let it go and play. It's not like he's coming in the tough decision, nice decision to have to have, but a tough one like that. If they were seven and four, and Jacoby Brissett's played pretty well. And, and have to make this tough decision. Now he comes in and has to play with that burden of, oh boy, well, the other guy played pretty good and we've won some games. So now, you know, I gotta, I, I gotta be a little more judicious about some of the decisions I make and what I do. Uh, he can kind of play with house money, which is a, a good thing to just let it out and let it go. Well, coach, we, uh, oh, oh, we have one of our, uh, one of our uh, uh, regulars inside the chat want to know, uh, do you have any interest in the University of Cincinnati head football coaching job? <laughs> What a what a what a coup from my standpoint. I think Luke Fickle's outstanding. Yeah, and I thought you know because there were a lot of teams that were going to look, and I thought with the new contract he had, that that had kind of solidified him in Cincinnati, which is because he's an outstanding coach. And Wisconsin, I think, had a, did a phenomenal job in getting him. Uh, I hate that Cincinnati has to you know go around. I don't know. I don't follow. Is there a guy on the staff at Cincinnati? Well, you know, Kerry Combs, who was a defensive coordinator at Ohio State, he went to with Vrabel to the Titans. He came back to uh, Ohio State, then went came back to Cincinnati, a high school coach here for many, many years. Uh, but, you know, he's been the defensive coordinator of this year's team. He's the interim. He's going to get a, an interview. Uh, but word on the street, there's a whole laundry list of guys out there from Brian Hartline up there at Ohio State to Tom Herman, who used to be at Ohio State in Texas, to Deion Sanders' name. You know, now now what Deion has done down there, Brian, is pretty amazing at Jackson State. Oh, you have to admire. I talked with Deion a little while ago, and what he has done, he's shown that he can be a legitimate head coach, that he's got, and he paid his dues, so to speak, and he's done a phenomenal job. And I think, you know, now Cincinnati, it's going, it's going to cost you now. You know, Deion's not going any place cheap, and it's going to have to be a commitment to what you because otherwise, why leave Jackson State? Um, I think it would be a huge coup for Cincinnati in a lot of ways. I, I think it would be to have Deion Sanders there with a lot of issues that maybe Cincinnati has dealt with over the past uh, could take that step forward as well uh, in terms of a real statement for them. But uh, that that, uh, that would be a tough choice, I think, for Dion. I think I think he might 
because Cincinnati, as wonderful as they've done, still is maybe viewed as that job as you take to make that next step. Uh, and that's that's the difficulty they have. Yeah, I, I wonder, Brian, if going into the Big 12 next year changes that. I mean, they've upgraded their facilities. They've got the indoor thing going on. They cracked the college football playoff as a non-Power 5. Now they're going into the Big 12. I, I, I just wonder if, if, if that kind of momentum and the fact that, which you probably don't know, I know you're not a big baseball guy, but Dion played for the Reds here in baseball and, and really liked it here a lot. Uh, for him and his family and as a player and with the fans and all those kinds. I'm not suggesting that that would be the reason he'd take the job. You're right about the money. But I just wonder if the Big 12, knowing what, what TCU's doing this year, right, and going into the game Saturday night with a chance to be in the playoff. Um, what's and, that? Uh, yeah. What's that commitment? You're right. This It could be a goldmine in the sense that if indeed they're willing to jump on board and take that next step. Because the key to Dion is that he is – totally immersed and locked in to that talent pool and the agents, which you have to be today with the NIL and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so could that, could Cincinnati, now that they're going to have the bigger platform, could they do what TCU is doing? Um, yeah, that would be, now it's going to cost you. I mean, yep. Cincinnati won't have to step up. That, and that's what it comes down to anymore is, are you willing to pay the freight? Is there that kind of potential um, the only other negative I have, and this is just a side note altogether, is that when you look at the best jobs in college football, the ones that have the best chance to win, they're typically not programs that are in cities that have NFL teams, or your major cities, you know, yeah. simply because there is that competition. There's that competition for that dollar. You know, you could say SC would be the outlier in that, and they have been for a while. But you look at the other top schools, Traditionally, whether and then Georgia is just far enough out of Atlanta and sure. its own here out there, but whether it's Alabama, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Clemson, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's now Michigan, the teams that really have a chance that year in, year out say, okay, we've got this conclave that we can spend the money and we can capture it and it can generate it. And the negative to Cincinnati, just like it is in, in, in most metropolitan cities, whether it be now in Miami, whether it be uh, in, in Phoenix and Arizona, you know, that's the challenge for Arizona State now. So many of them, uh, can you compete with, with an NFL environment? And that's really the stepping stone. So that, that's, the, that's the only challenge for, not that you can't do it, because I think, I think you're exactly right, but, but it's, it's, you've got to get the, you know, as Dion created the, the, the saying, you, you're going to pay the man. <laughs> <laughs> just hit. You have to pay his assistance. You're going to have to set up the NIL program. You're going to have to do it all. But yeah, that would be that would be a hell of a hire. Yeah, it would be. It would be. All right, Brian. We thank you. That's fascinating insight. We thanks for the time. Have a great rest of your week. All right, man. Nothing better than having that guy on. I mean, and, and that, that 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 you know that's an interesting observation. None of us took into account that whole big city thing. Yeah. I didn't realize that when he started listing out the names, I was like, "God oh, dang, that, that he's got he's got a point. He's got a point. Uh, professional teams in in uh, in those cities with college teams, they are they anywhere near the the top five right now? I mean, no, I don't think so. No, and and people might be saying, "Wait a minute, what about Ann Arbor? Ann Arbor, just like Athens, Georgia, is just far enough away where it's its own little world there." You know what I mean? It's, it's a, Ohio State would be the closest thing to a big city school. 
I mean, even though their campus is, you know, just, what, three, four, five miles up the road off of downtown? Yeah. Five, six, seven miles, maybe. Still a big city. Columbus, one of the top, I think, 25, 30 largest cities in the United States. But um, that was interesting. And he does know Dion well. I remember when we worked together um, doing NFL games every week, he knows Dion very, very well. So, um, you know, whether or not at the end of the day UC is really going to talk to him, it's all just, you know, people speculating. I'm no different. You guys are no different. But I think because of the Big 12 thing, and because of the way the facilities have improved here over the last couple of years. And we have Dan Horde coming up uh, in about 10 minutes. But, 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 fellas, you know, I think the Big 12 thing is a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Huge yeah. thing. I mean, it's easy to say, duh. But, you know, somebody could say, well, wait a minute. You know, we went as a non-power like Look, the difference between playing in the, in the Big 12 and the American is night and day. It's the minor leagues versus the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, if any coach, I mean, at this point, like if we were to get Dion, I think this is actually a pretty good spot because, I mean, you're getting a chance to revitalize the entire program at the highest level. You know, you get to, one, prove yourself as a head coach in the big leagues, in the big 12, where – the competition isn't at its highest level, but it's just good enough to where you can get into the college football playoff and actually make a, 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 a dent in the college playoff world. And I think I'm – is Dion from – where is he from? He is, a, he is from, from Florida. He's from Florida. He's okay. from Florida. I just remembered he was from a big, played one at of Florida the big State. football state. Played at Florida State. That's right. And, uh, of course, he, he came into the NFL. Uh, I remember hearing um, so many nights uh, or, or days sitting around in the weeks that I'd go in and, and work with Troy Aikman. And, you know, Dion had already been uh, the best cornerback in the NFL for a number of years. And Troy had always played against him and had incredible respect for him, uh, obviously, if you're trying to complete passes against a guy. But I remember he used to tell the story all the time about when Dion then came to Dallas. And it came time to watching this guy um, every single day. And they had a confrontation immediately. I think it might have been like the fourth or fifth practice after Dion comes to training camp with the Cowboys. And the Cowboys got all these big stars, right? I mean, they got Irvin, they got Emmett, they got Troy, they got Haley. They, they got them all over the place. But now all of a sudden, in walks Deion Sanders. And you know, he's jawing with receivers during practice, talking smack to Aikman when they're going seven-on-seven seven stuff. And Aikman didn't like it. Uh, and the two of them, they butted heads. And Troy realized uh, after they had had that conversation, he said he walked away from the conversation saying, you know what, I'm glad this guy's on my team because it's not all just you know flash and all this. He said, this guy is coming to play and coming to compete every single down, even in practice. I think if you hire Deion Sanders, we were talking about this in the break. I think if you hire Deion, it either goes disastrously wrong or it goes spectacularly awesome. And I don't think there's any. Now, why, why would you say wrong? I'm just curious. What, what, well, what should I, go wrong? I, I, I just think that maybe when you look at Deion, and, and to be very 
transparent with this. I have not watched one down of, of Jackson State football. I have not followed that program. I don't know anything about how he's done down there outside of just following a general idea of his record and what he's done to turn the program around. I've read enough articles and stuff to have a general idea, but I'm not sitting here watching Jackson State football every right. day to know his in-game schematics and coaching decisions. I'm just making a general statement looking at coaches that have come in from lesser programs and taken over a program like you see at a, at a high level that is going to compete at the highest level that you're taking a risk, I think, by going with a guy like Dion. But maybe for John Cunningham, maybe that's a risk he's willing to take and may and it could pay off in in spectacular fashion. I I think it's one or the other. I think I think with Dion it would be pretty binary. I don't think with Dion you're getting a a seven and six consistent record. I think he's gonna come in there and he's gonna win or he's gonna all of a sudden be playing against the big boys at the highest level yep. and, and he's going to go, oh, oh, That's wait. fair. So, That's a fair point. You know, a, a lot of the folks online uh, throwing out different names. You know, we talked about Tom Herman already. Um, Jolly Jolly really likes uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Uh, they struggled this year, but he is very highly thought of as Matt Campbell. Um and we know Kerry Combs is going to get an interview. Brian Hartline's name, I think, is, is the hottest name of this group, at least initially, um, just because he's right up the road at Ohio State um, and all that he has accomplished as a recruiter uh, and as a position coach uh, with the Buckeyes. I mean, they're putting first-round draft picks in the NFL every single year. He's recruiting them, and then he's coaching them up. They had two first-round picks. They're the two best rookie wide receivers in the NFL this year in Wilson and Olave. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba misses basically the entire year. He was thought to be the best wide receiver in the country when the season began. He barely plays three-quarters total for this entire season. Marvin Harrison Jr. then supplants him as the best receiver in college football this year. And a lot of people believe that Hartline uh, would be the right guy here. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have Dan Horde. And I, and I really can't wait to talk to Dan about a little bit about the Bengals, but, but, but not, not so much, uh, a little bit more about the whole UC thing, some of his memories uh, of Luke Fickle, some of the things that he was privy to hearing and seeing and watching uh, as voice of the Bearcats over these last six seasons. Uh, and who knows? Uh, maybe Dan has an opinion on who the front runner or front runners might be for this job. It's Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Uh, even with the Bengals coming away with a huge win yesterday, uh, Brian Billick talking a lot about uh, how impressive uh, the Bengals on both sides of the ball looked. And, of course, the man who was there to call each and every play yesterday, the voice of both the Cincinnati Bengals and the UC football Bearcats and basketball Bearcats shifting gears now into full-on hoop season on the UC side until the bowl game. Dan Horde. Dan, before we get to UC and Luke Fickle, um, your impressions uh, about the Bengals yesterday. Did you, did you see something out of this team yesterday that maybe you had not seen so far this year? 
Well, there was a level of toughness in that game that I'm not sure I had seen this year, and I don't know that I had to see up until that game. The Titans make you earn every inch on both sides of the ball, and I think that's why it was a tremendously satisfying win for the Bengals yesterday. They have the utmost respect for Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans players. So to go there twice in 10 months and get out of there with two almost identical wins, 19 to 16 the first time, 20 to 16 yesterday, it's pretty remarkable. And I think they're feeling pretty good about their performance yesterday. You know, uh, um, uh, Danny, you look at um, the defense, and and everybody loves talking about the Bengals offense. And and look, I do too, because when they got everybody in there, I mean, it's fun to watch. They were fun to watch even without everybody in there yesterday. But this defense, um, you've gotten to know Lou Anarumo. And, and, and look, when he first got there, a lot like Zach Taylor, you, you can be the best coach on the planet, but you got to have players. And then all of a sudden, the franchise went out there, started spending some money uh, in free agency uh, to bring in some guys, whether it's Von Bell, it's Hendrickson, it's Apple, it's some of the – DJ Reader, some of these guys um, – Anna Rumo has got to be one of the top two or three defensive coordinators in the league. Is that fair to say? Well, he's certainly on the short list. I don't know if it's top two or three, but certainly top 10. He's done an amazing job with this defense. You know, there's something interesting. I was thinking about this last night, Tom. When you've got great defensive coordinators that have their own spin on things, they might become known for for a specific thing. For example, when Mike Zimmer was Cincinnati's defensive coordinator, he kind of became known as the double A-gap blitz guy. A lot of defenses hadn't done that before. He helped make that popular in the NFL. Going back to Dick LeBeau with the zone blitz, he kind of became known as the inventor of that. Cincinnati plays more five defensive linemen alignments of any team that I've seen in the recent NFL past. And nobody really talks about it. It's a three, four defense, but it's done with five defensive linemen and they don't do that on every snap, but they mix it in a lot against running teams. They did it a lot yesterday. And I'm waiting for the point where one of these uh, NFL network gurus or something like that starts talking about how revolutionary that is for Lou Anarumo and the Bengals. That's a great point. Very interesting point um, and great observation. All right. Um, let's start with Luke Fickle and, and let's just focus on him for a minute. You were here uh, the day he took the job where the program was uh, after Tommy Tuberville blew out of town. Um, Fickle leaves Ohio State, took over for Trestle and all that sort of mess. They go six and seven. Urban keeps him on as co-defensive coordinator. He comes down here. I don't, I don't know. Dan and I and I live here. I don't know what the expectations were realistically for Luke Fickle. Uh, but when he first came in, and you're around him a lot, a couple of times a week at least over these last six years during the season, um, was there something early on where you said, you know, they might really have something here? Yes, and it continued throughout the entire six-year period, Tom. More than any other coach, in football at least, that I dealt with at UC, Luke Fickle was the guy, publicly or privately, that never complained about any shortcomings that Cincinnati might have. And there were more when he started the job than there are now. But a lot of coaches, you know, they say all the right things in publicly as they have to. 
But behind closed doors, oh, we don't have this, we don't have that, we need this, we need that, this guy's an idiot, we, and whatever it might be. Luke Fickle never did any of that. And I think that really permeated throughout the entire organization, his coaches, his staff, the players. They kind of embraced the fact that they didn't have all of the bells and whistles and that they were going to win big anyway. So from day one, that really stood out to me. And like I said, it lasted for six years. You surprised he took the Wisconsin job? I'm surprised the job was open, quite honestly. I'm not surprised he took it because I think it's a good fit for him. But when they made the coaching change this year and promoted Jim Leonard, it really seemed like, all right, this is the guy that we kind of wanted all along to be our head coach. He's beloved by the fan base. He's a local legend. Even after their final game, there wasn't a ton of speculation in Madison that he was going to be out. Most people seem to think that he was going to get the full-time job. So that was the part of it that caught me up caught me off guard. I didn't think that job was going to be open. Once I started getting uh, texts yesterday from people saying, have you heard about Coach Vickle? And I knew that it was real and Wisconsin was going after him. I'm not that surprised that he took it. Obviously, he's got Big Ten roots. He knows what Wisconsin is capable of. It's a good fit for his family. He's a Midwestern college town kind of guy, I think, uh, at his heart of hearts. So, in that uh, aspect, I'm really not that surprised. And, you know, uh, Dan, I had made the comment earlier that that not only all the reasons you just said, I think Wisconsin is a great fit for him and his family, um, but the way um, UC's season ended compared to the last two years, where you went to a New Year's Six Bowl game two years ago, last year, of course, to the college football playoff, where you start getting into that whole – you know, Brian Kelly kind of thing, right? Where the school that's trying to hire you, they need an answer right now. And you got to give them an answer. And when Kelly left UC, it meant leaving before a BCS game. When Kelly left Notre Dame, it meant leaving before a big New Year's Day. It was almost like the stars were aligned that if there was a year where Fickle could pull it off and not draw the ire of the fan base or some in the athletic department as to his timing, uh, that, that, that this was it. I agree with that. If you look back at last year, there will never be a year like last year where all of those big-time jobs were open at the same time. USC, LSU, Notre Dame, the list went on and on. All of those schools contacted Luke's agent. He probably could have had any of those jobs, and I do think he would have seriously considered Notre Dame, but he told all of those schools, or his agent did at least, that he wouldn't even consider the possibility as long as his team was competing for a national championship. So his integrity prevented him from taking those jobs. Uh, that obviously was not the case this year. Cincinnati will go to a bowl, but it's not going to be a bowl of that magnitude. And let's also go back to when he turned down the Michigan State job. That was a different time of year. Mark D'Antonio uh, abruptly resigned just before signing day in the spring. Michigan State made a big effort to hire Luke Fickle. And in that case, I think a major reason why he didn't take the job was that timing. He had just gone through the recruiting, recruiting process. He had worked really hard on convincing all of these kids to come to Cincinnati. Now, just days before the date, he's going to pick up and leave. He couldn't do it. So his integrity uh, helped keep him at Cincinnati for six years. 
And I do agree with you that the timing in this case, while not ideal, is not nearly as it would as bad as it would have been in those other two instances. All right, Kerry Combs, uh, one of our favorite people on the planet. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I like anybody that walks the planet more than I like that guy. Uh, and I'm always rooting for great things to happen to him. He's the interim coach. He is going to get an interview, it was said last night at the press conference, for the full-time head coaching job. Names are starting to fly around all over the place. I mean, that's been topic number one on this show here today. Whether it's Brian Hartline, whether it's Tom Herman, whether it's uh, Deion Sanders, or, or any number of guys. Um, do, do you kind of look at any of these guys and say, ooh, you know, now that one would be a little more interesting or that one might be a better fit for different reasons? And how soon do you think all of this um, is decided? I think it'll be soon. I don't think you can afford to wait in college football anymore. So I'm sure John Cunningham is going to try to get this wrapped up as quickly as he possibly can. I would say we learned through the Luke Fickle experience, especially coming off Tommy Tuberville, that Ohio connections is important. I think that will be a significant factor in the hiring. And let me say this about Kerry Combs. I can't imagine, I met with Kerry today and said this to him uh, before I asked him questions in an interview format. I can't imagine a better interim coach in this situation than Kerry Combs for a lot of reasons. Number one, he loves Cincinnati, he loves the school, and he can sell that. But his approach to this, I think, is perfect. He met with the players. He said, my job is to make sure that we take care of you and that you have a great bowl experience. So that's number one. Number two, he contacted every recruit. He assured them that they still have a scholarship. They understand that these guys are going to consider their options as they should, but he asked them to be patient. He said, this transition is not going to take very long. It will all be wrapped up well before signing day. So we hope you don't do anything rash. We know that schools are going to be coming out of the woodwork trying to poach these guys. So he basically stressed to be patient. And he learned from the 2009 Sugar Bowl experience. He was on Brian Kelly's staff. He saw how poorly that went. And he said the difference this time around is that it's disappointment instead of anger. In 2009, they were ticked off. They yep. didn't feel like Coach Kelly handled it right. That's not the way the team feels this time around. Clearly, they're disappointed, in some cases heartbroken, but at least it's not visceral anger this time around. I, I, one final thing, Dan, before we let you go, uh, knowing you see the way you know you see inside and out and all the upgrades that have been made in facilities, everybody knows the, the, the school is going into the Big 12 Conference, huge feather in the cap beginning next year. Um, from, from the ability to go out and pay somebody. And, and Brian Billick was just on with us a little while ago. He's very close with Deion Sanders. And, you know, he, he made the joke that, that, that Deion was the one, you got to pay the man. If you want the man, you got to pay the man. And, you know, we were chuckling about it. But when, when, when you start stacking up UC, and I'm not comparing them to Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or somebody like that, but, but as far as, say, Big 12 conference schools are concerned, and maybe you take the University of Texas and Oklahoma out, they're going to the SEC, but say TCU as a great example. They go out and they hire uh, Sonny Dykes this year and hire him away from SMU. Um, how competitive, theoretically, is UC in terms of being able to go out and spend money on a coach? 
Very competitive. They were already paying Luke Fickle more than $5 million a year. He was the highest paid coach outside of the Power Five. And now that they're going to have Power Five revenue coming in uh, beginning on July 1st, I think they're going to be able to spend certainly uh, middle of the pack or better in the Big 12. I mean, Oklahoma State, some of these schools with, you know, gigantic donors that just cough it up year after year will be able to outspend Cincinnati. But there are teams in that league that the Bearcats will be able to outspend. So I think they're going to be very competitive where that is concerned in the Big 12. The problem you have in college football right now is that the Big 10 and the SEC as these TV deals go into effect, are going to have more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. And we know in college sports, they never look to make a profit. Whatever comes in, they spend, whether it's on facilities, whether it's on coaches, whether it's on whatever. So that gap, unfortunately for the Bearcats, is getting bigger and bigger. But at least in the Big 12, they'll have a chance with most college football programs. They just uh, won't be able to spend as much as the SEC and the Big 12. Or the Big Ten, excuse me. We thank you so much for your time and all your insight. You're the best. You have been on a crazy schedule. Uh, Insane. (laughs) Although you did miss Maui. So. I did. I mean, man. Why can't you, you know, (laughs) when when you get a thing like that, why can't you just, a big shooter like yourself, just negotiate out on that, you know, football weekend and go to Maui. Take your bride out there with you. You know, my uh, contract stipulates that the Bengals come first. So that's always the number one priority, and I'm glad it's spelled out. I never have to make these decisions. It's all down on paper. I do get to do the double dip this Sunday, Tom, though I'm looking forward to this. Bearcat basketball at noon, Bengals Chiefs at 420. So I get to do both on the same day, and that's always fun. Wow, how about that? A fortunate man. Congratulations. We're happy for you, my man. Well earned. Thanks for your time today, Danny, as always. You bet, Tom. Thank you. Love having Dan Horde on here. And uh, now he just, you know, he just rolls right into the next. So what happens if UC pulls a uh, North Carolina and Alabama yeah. and it goes to four overtimes? Is Dan, does Dan get a police escort? Well, down to Larry <laughs> Shakely or John Burns or one of those big hitters, Jeff Weiler, one of those guys down there. I mean, they, they, they probably have access as long as there's no emergencies around to you know the helicopter is that on top of uc hospital where, where, where is that where they fly all the oh there is a helipad down there yeah somewhere. there's a helicopter yeah, yeah. i mean yeah they, i mean they'll just shoot them on one of those land a thing somewhere and just land them at midfield yeah right on the beach. yeah forget the flyover <laughs> the dan horde the dan horde the dan horde <laughs> that's big league day it is uc hoops and then right into um the game of the NFL, without a doubt, this coming weekend. Absolutely. This, it, it's a shame that we had to lose that primetime game and they gave it to Kansas City for that Sunday night game. Uh, that was like, what, two, three weeks ago? Because yep. this should have been the primetime game that got bumped up, honestly. But kansas city has now five they've already completed their prime time schedule oh they have so there's no chance that this gets moved up kind of unfortunate but no flex no flex should be but i'm just curious what they have on uh oh boy sunday night football okay uh what conference is it 
Let's play the game. It is an inter, not intra. Okay. It is an inter-conference game. Now, you have a ratings bonanza team at home. Oh, Cowboys. Amen. Okay. <laughs> That's easy. That's okay. a layup. Uh, and then you have a team from the heartland, from the AFC. Ooh. Hmm. The closest NFL city to Cincinnati. Indianapolis? You got it. Colts, Cowboys? How about that one? Sunday night football? Now, what, yeah, and they're not going to flex the Cowboys out. No. They're not flexible. All you had to say was ratings bonanza. I mean, how about Indianapolis playing in prime time, back-to-back games? Well, you talk about a stinker tonight. Uh, that stinks. Colts v. Steelers. And then you have Colts v. Dallas. I tell you what's going to be a uh, – oh, no, I thought I was wrong about that. I thought Monday Night Football it said New England. No, it's going to be New Orleans, Tampa Bay next week. All right. Um, we have a cherry on top because we got to get the box lunch, even though uh, Reed Mouse do we have is a, out of town. I don't think we do okay, have a cherry okay. on top. Our today. cherry on top is going to be introducing Trace Fowler. Exactly. Now, are one of you guys going to help him yes. out in the absence of yes. Reed Mouse today? Yes. Yeah. Who is? Paul is. And Casey is. Well, this yeah. is a team are you effort speaking today. speaking in the first person now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh? Well, you, you said who? I said Paul. I answered your question. Trace, how do you feel about working as a – you know what? From now on, we're just going to call him Paul. He refers to himself as Paul. We're just, we, we don't even need a nickname. It's like uh, Prince. You know, That's... he's just Paul. Big league operator comes back from Portland, Oregon, covering all the big-time college hoops on a red eye. So Trey Wingo called me one time, just Paul. I, went, I, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I, I did a game show one time. It only ran one time on ESPN. Trey Wingo was the host. And I – and okay, well, I'll this keep – This is a cherry on top. I'll keep Go it ahead. quick, yeah. So this was back in 2017. ESPN ran a game show. They ran it one time, and it was called, it was called Bracket Genius. And every Sweet 16 team sent – a group of three representatives to Chicago for a weekend to do a game show. It was a trivia game show. So about a month before when we were all getting picked, they sent an email out to like 50 schools that, you know, had a chance to make the Sweet 16. And they said, hey, we're looking for three to four representatives to, to represent your school in Chicago. Trey Wingo is going to be the host of this show, and you're playing for like a couple hundred thousand dollars. I was like, sure, sign me up. So... At that point, Xavier was way below 500. I, not, maybe not way below 500, but they were very squarely on the bubble. Long shot. Yeah. But I knew that this was a Xavier team that had a ton of injuries. I was like, yeah, this, this could be a Sweet 16 team. So Xavier goes. They, they beat Maryland in round one, and they kill Florida State in round two. And all of a sudden, I'm texting a couple of my friends that I knew we had all signed up together, and I said, Fellas, we're going to be on ESPN next week. So we get on a plane. We go up there to Chicago. And the best part of the show was that nobody told us that it wasn't a sports trivia show. So we all show up. And this is, I think, why it only ran one time. We all show up thinking we're doing sports trivia. And all of a sudden, they're asking us Jeopardy trivia. Like trivial like pursuit real stuff. Tri right, like right, trivial pursuit right, stuff. Right. Now, we... My team, Xavier, we got out of round one, and we should have got out of round two, and we got we got a Mount Rushmore question wrong, and I'll never I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. 
I don't know why we got it wrong. We froze they in the moment. The presidents were on Mount they, Rushmore. They asked us the order of the presidents oh, on Mount order. Rushmore. Okay. And uh, you know the answer to that now? I know the answer. I know that George Washington is the first one on there, and for some reason we locked up. We got it wrong. Okay. Would have won $20,000. That's a great story. But anyway, so Trey Wingo was asking us for like one thing about us, and he just, I, he came to me and I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm just Paul. So, <laughs> so that's good stuff. That's a great story. Yeah. It's on YouTube. I, I had to, they, I had to, I had to take my phone and record the screen of a DVR thing before my DVR got deleted when I moved because ESPN never put a recording of it anywhere. So I have a recording on YouTube. No kidding. That's it. That's the only oh, copy gotta, I have. We got to watch that. We did. All right. We did okay. That, that's going to be our, our cherry on top tomorrow. Absolutely. We're going to run a clip from that. <laughs> we can do that. Paul's okay. trivial. We can do that. That's right. All right. Casey, Paul, thank you. No problem. Yeah. Great work today. Brandon, sort of. Uh, Trace, what's happening? You had some stuff to talk about today, don't we? Live going on. Cincinnati is in a, uh, in like a bipolar state. I hope at least if you're a UC fan, you're a Bengals fan as well, right? Like, could you imagine being a Michigan fan? Like, or, or I guess that wouldn't really work, would it? Because you have to be at a. But could you imagine? Could you imagine being like I don't know, like maybe well the Browns won too. Pittsburgh right. Steelers fan. Is there any like Steelers fans that are also UC fans? It's like a tough time. But the Bengals are the. Who would have thought, ten years ago, that you'd say the Cincinnati Bengals are the team that's that's keeping everybody's hopes and dreams it's hard alive. Hard to believe, in isn't it? It's really hard to believe. Isn't that wild? You're right. It You're just right. shows you that winning solves almost everything. And if the Reds could at least have a little bit of a little bit of sense of opp opportunistic attitude. If I'm the Castellinis, I'm thinking, man, if we can just find a way to win, everyone's going to like us again because it doesn't matter what happens. Well, you're right. And I mean, I think everybody is even, you know, in the city, if you just if you just got down to the two names of Bob Castellini and Mike Brown and the right. way they literally have gone like this in in two years, forget 10 years. I mean, because Mike was getting beat up for bringing uh, Marvin back all the time and they could never win a playoff game uh, and they weren't spending the money. But then, you know, the Browns go out. Brown family goes out. Uh, they're, 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 they're very fortunate. They get Burrow as a number one pick. Um, they go out and spend a bunch of money on their defense. They get Chase the following year as a number one pick. Uh, they choose him instead of the, uh, the kid, the offensive lineman. Benesel, yeah. yeah. And, and then they spend a fortune during this offseason on the offensive line. And you look like a yeah. pig in slop. Yeah, back to being the king again. I tell you what, we have a lot of viewership right now. I want some of you to hang around and listen to the Luke Fickle take that I'm about to have uh, when, you, when you take off. But did you feel like after talking to Dan that it changed your viewpoint on Luke at all? Or did you, I mean, you probably had a feeling of that's what it was the whole time with in regards to him leaving the right way. I think he would have left a year ago, and I don't know exactly, and I don't think anybody's ever proven for sure. I think everybody knew, and it was a confirmed deal, the, the, the story told about Michigan State. I mean, you know, they, they tried to get him. Right. Uh, how serious or where any of the conversation, if it went anywhere at all, uh, as it pertains to Notre Dame or USC, I don't know. Uh, during last offseason, Oklahoma uh, last offseason, 
uh, when uh, all those jobs were open. But there was no way Fickle was going to do what Brian Kelly did. Uh, and I don't blame Brian Kelly uh, for leaving uh, both Notre Dame and leaving Notre Dame for LSU. I don't blame the guy. Um, but Fickle, is, he's, he is a very ethical, upstanding guy. And I just think the stars were aligned that if there was going to be a big-time job, and it's funny that he brought up Wisconsin because I was with a bunch of people who are Wisconsin grads um, in Chicago for Thanksgiving. And we were talking at length that it, it was a dumb deal, according to the thinking of all of them as, as Wisconsin alums, that Leonard was a the guy they wanted all along. And that's why they fired Chris. They were having a bad year. Yeah. But they felt like they were going to lose Leonard at the end of the year to somebody else, and that's the guy ultimately they want. The coaching game in college especially, obviously, is just such a wild scene because college baseball is obviously significantly different than college football. But at the same time, you know, I got to kind of see that whole cycle and how that goes and how that affects the families. And you got guys that are you got guys that are not the head coach, but the assistant coaches that are digging around, trying to find their next landing spot because they know that this guy's thinking about going here and there's speculative ideas of this, that, and the nature. And it's like, you know, it's a wild two, three weeks when the season's getting ready to end yep. and then when the season's over because as I guess basically Dan had mentioned that Combs was telling all those recruits, it is quick. They want, they want to get the next guy in there as fast as they can. Case point and proven last year when Fickle did not get the opportunity to go to Notre Dame. In my opinion, the job was offered to Luke. And um, I don't want to say I know that for a fact, but I want to say that I know that pretty closely, that Luke, it was Luke's job to have if he wanted it. He wanted to see out the national championship run. They wanted to move on, and it goes to show you how quickly these schools want to move on because these recruiting classes matter a lot. I personally am a guy who I would rather wait on a guy for two weeks and miss out maybe on a few kids on a class and get the guy that I want just because I think it's been proven that if you got a guy in college football, if you got a head coach, it doesn't matter. They're going to get it right. LSU is a perfect example of that. It was all hell breaking loose down there at LSU. There's kids in the portal left yep. and right, guys yep. leaving. Brian Kelly goes down there. Guys were leaving when Brian Kelly took the job too. And like him or not, I don't think Brian Kelly would have left if UC was playing in the national championship if you want to give him a little bit of grace. You said Brian Kelly left. He wasn't playing for a national title. No, he was playing, he was playing in, for a BCS game. It mattered. BCS. I'm yeah. not saying it didn't yeah, matter. You're right. But you're it's right. not the same situation as Luke. If Luke was playing in a New Year's Six Bowl last year, not the, national, not the college football playoff, he would have left as well. No doubt about it. So at the end of the day, I, I don't know if you can kind of pin the two against each other on that situation. Now, I do think that in, my, in all fairness, I do think Fickle has, as you said, some moral standards that maybe – are above and beyond most college football coaches. Um, so you got to give them credit for that. Having said all that, I think I do think genuinely the Bengals are back. They're back. I, I think they're back. They're back. Yep. And that doesn't mean they have to win this weekend. I think they're going to win this weekend. Me too. But, but it, it doesn't mean they have to win this weekend. Um, but they're starting to – look, you're playing without your star running back. You're playing without – Arguably, if not number one, then the second best wide receiver in football again. Yep. Um, I think the only game they've lost since Chase went down was a Cleveland game. Yeah. Yeah. So they're three and one. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, who would have thought that when he initially got hurt? We didn't know how long he would be out. 
But Higgins, Stud, Boyd, Stud, and, and some guys you, you didn't see coming that are getting a chance to play that all of a sudden that Irwin, that catch he made yesterday was insane um, near the in the second half. So, um, yeah, they got it going on. And I give it up, I give it up to Zach Taylor. Um, I, I thought even offensively they did not look like, again, they were ready to play at the start of the game. But in fairness to him, Higgins, the only mistake he made the whole day was that drop pass down inside the 10-yard line that forced them to kick a field goal. Um, if he catches that ball, they go in for a touchdown, and, and maybe we're talking a little bit different. But um, Taylor, you know, he's got the coaching staff that knows what they're doing, and, and man, they look good. They do look yeah. good. Um, also on box lunch, I got, I got some, I don't want to say outlandish takes today, but I think this is, as many know, I'm an SEC guy. I watch the SEC every single week religiously. Um, I think that I've, I've, I'm relatively non-biased. I, I think Georgia is beatable. I think they're the best team in college football. But at the same time, I've been saying it time and time again that the SEC has been down. The SEC West are officially all frauds now. I've been saying that for a while. I've been yes, trying to tell everybody that LSU is not very good. And they're so happy to be 18-point underdogs on a neutral site game against Georgia. And they just so happened to get beat by NAM last week. And Bama's in the same boat. So if I have to hear, now I'm spoiling a little bit of a topic now, down on Don't the bottom. Don't spoil it. If I have to hear, though, that Alabama should be in the college football playoff one more time, I'm going to blow my head off. It, I'm so sick and tired of hearing it. They have two losses. If they were any other team in the country, put any other program on there, they aren't even getting the light of day. They're not even getting talked about. No, no. And, and, and a case in point is, is if, if SC loses a second game, they're not getting in. Clemson's already lost a second game. They're not getting in. So you're right. I mean, Alabama is the lone dog uh, there uh, with two losses. If people are speculating, where will they sit tomorrow night when the college football playoff rankings? I mean, is it conceivable Ohio State goes from two to six? Let's just talk about how last week the college – I haven't forgotten, Tom. I told you last week that I was pissed off. I haven't forgotten the college football playoff put LSU at five. Yeah. They thought they were the fifth best team in the country. Yeah, they did. Are we being serious? Yeah. They did. LSU doesn't even belong, in my opinion, even in the whole list of gamut of people possibly making the college football playoff. Now, I, I understand you could say Alabama could be in there. Here's why. Because they have a little bit of a reputation. They lost on the road twice in two night games. So I'll give them a little bit of credit for that. But LSU was at home against Tennessee. They got blown out. They did. And they just watched Tennessee go on the road to South Carolina get blown out and they had the audacity to put LSU at five, and they got what they deserved. So if they put Alabama ahead of Ohio State or or, or any one loss team for that matter, I don't care of any of them. Then I'm going to blow my. I, I I just the SEC bias take for the longest time, in my opinion, was unwarranted. I think the SEC is the hardest league to play in, not because on a one-off given situation you can beat an SEC team, but because every single week you're usually faced up with an elite defensive front. No doubt about it. And that's the difficult part in the SEC. You get banged up. You know, even though you're playing Mississippi State on the road, Mississippi State's not a great team. But they're a good, solid but team. But, yeah, if you're playing them week three after you done played Alabama and you done played Ole Miss and you done played – it can wear on you. So I do think that, that the SEC deserves credit for that. But I don't think they deserve credit for when they all beat up on each other, you still give them the benefit of the doubt. That, that doesn't work with me. And I'm so tired of hearing about Alabama. Maybe it's just some of my biases. I'm tired of hearing about them, period. But I just – they don't deserve the credit they're being, they've been given this entire year. You know, they just well. Don't. It's gonna be. It's really gonna be interesting tomorrow night to see where who they because the top four, as we said earlier, no brainer, no brainer, easy as can be. 
But all of a sudden, you start slotting number five, number six. Is it Ohio State? Is it Alabama? Flip-flop that. We'll find out tomorrow night.